Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Schoen and I am joined today again by Dr. Matthew Perry. Matthew and I had a rather animated conversation today talking about a lot of things that we don't learn in PT school that are very relevant into how we work with people today. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly informative. So let's tune in. Matthew Perry, how are you today? Hey, Brianne, I am doing very well today. We have a kind of gloomy day here in San Diego, but that's okay. This conversation is going to brighten things up, right? Awesome. Awesome. And uh, like we said, or like I said, off air, you can keep it in San Diego because I don't want it. And I know it's coming here next. It is, it is a move in. <laughs> uh, this is very odd talking to you at uh, what almost five o'clock my time when we normally talk at like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like almost bedtime for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. After this, I'm going to go make dinner and pretty much go to bed afterwards. That's it. <laughs> but always good. Always good to be on here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, um, what we're kind of brainstorming today was just really kind of talking about the stuff that they don't teach us in school, whether it's overlooked, whether it's stuff that we just have learned since is kind of debunked. Um, so we kind of want to dive into some of those topics today. Um, and I think starting with what I know we've mentioned on here in the past, at least in passing, but kind of some of those things that are traditionally used for recovery purposes um, or or dealing with injuries, um, like wearing brace, using braces for long periods, using ice and heat, um, like all the things that I think are just overused and may or may not have a whole lot of benefit when it comes to the healing process. Yeah, those are, um, you know, some things that are fairly ubiquitous in our society, right? You know, I don't know about you, but like most people who, who come into to see us, you know, when I asked what have they been doing to help, you know, help out their injury before they came to see us and, you know, about 100% say, say ice, you know, I think the, uh, the, the TENS units are uh, making a huge, I don't know, comeback or, you know, I don't know if this is their first wave or second wave, uh, but I know everyone has one of those now. True, yeah. <laughs> and, and let me start by saying, like, you know, I, uh, I'm really happy that all the people who uh, almost all the people who come in to see us, you know, are trying to do something to help help themselves, right? Like, let's, let's definitely start with that. Like, you know, awesome, you've, you've done everything you kind of know of, you've done the Advil or Tylenol and the, the ice and the heat, the, the TENS unit, uh, one of my patients bought a whole body vibration machine <laughs> to try to help with her, her stuff. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and that's great. They, they, they've reached the end of their road and they're maybe knowledge base and are now coming to us. Um, but, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of times I really wish that those weren't the first things that, that we went to, you know, when, when something hurt, you know, ouch, let me take a pill for it. Ouch. Let me, uh, let me throw some ice on it and magically it'll, it'll get better. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind yeah, of interesting. And, you know, what comes to mind is you're talking and I, you know, I think part of this is, just our medical system in general. Um, my stepsister has been dealing with a bad back injury, like hasn't been able to work for several weeks. Um, and this all started several months ago when she started having pain, she went to saw a therapist who did like 
the soft tissue work, the like just all the manual therapy, all the modalities didn't really teach her anything on how to move differently. Fast forward a couple months and she can barely walk now. And, you know, is living with all this stuff goes to some pain doctors and some neuro neurologists. And it's like, oh, here's some pain medication and some antidepressants and some anxiety and all these pills where when then it's like, she's doing her own research to like, who are some good therapists in my area? Who knows how to treat back pain and asking me all these questions on what should I be doing? And I think it's just this disconnect that's also present in our medical system. That's like, people are doing these things because they don't have any other options because everyone else that they're going to is telling them to do these things or is telling them they're a malingerer or crazy and they just have to like deal with it. Yeah. It's, 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 that's a huge point. You know, it's all these, these kind of band-aids, you know, if you will, on, on an injury, you know, in order to, in order to, you know, again, like I said, like almost, I guess, spontaneously things will just get better. You know, it's, we wait and see with some ice or some heat or, you know, all the modalities, as you said, but you know, that's not the root cause of what is causing their issue in the first place. Um, or the, you know, the problem that's, that's keeping their issue consistent, um, you know, before they come see us either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, it's, it's this, this, this interesting thing. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of medical doctors, you know, are advising their patients, oh yeah, just throw some ice on it and, you know, see, see how, see how it feels, see if it gets better. And if not, then we'll, we'll do some other things. Um, but you know, it's like, what are we really using the ice for? Right. Because we know after an inflammation response, you know, in that first, what is it, what is it, you know, uh, 48, 72 hours max, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, the ice most likely isn't doing a whole lot of good as opposed, you know, aside from burning and, and cooling, <laughs> cooling the area. <laughs> it's a hot day. That's fine. But, <laughs> you know, outside of that, there's not a lot of therapeutic use. So I don't always like that people, people go to that, especially in a chronic condition. Right. Absolutely. Even in the acute condition. I mean, I understand people use it, but you and I both know, like, swelling is what brings the healing properties to the area. If you don't let that swelling be there, then the healing properties aren't going to come. So it's really not going to heal anyway. So even in the acute phase, like it's not necessarily one of the things you want to be doing all the time. And that's a huge point. You know, we dog the, the I word, which is inflammation, right? (laughs) Like inflammation is bad thing that, that you can't have any of it in your body. If you do, it's it's bad. I mean, right? Like that's kind of oh, what, what what our our, our society is kind of kind of going towards. But we need inflammation to heal, right? And if you do not have, um, you know, the macrophages and cytokines and all that kind of stuff, you know, working, then you know your tissues can't heal. And sometimes when you take things like uh, NSAIDs for long periods of time, it decreases your ability to heal. And that's a great point as well that I think a lot of people overlook because how many people, I mean, I know a lot of people who just use that stuff as candy, basically. It's like, or, um, you know, they call their pre-workout because it's like, <laughs> it's how they get through the day or it's how they get through, like how they function. And um, while it can be amusing to joke about, like, it's not the best way to live because yeah, like you said, it decreases our healing response. Yeah. And so I, I really wish we would make a shift to, 
you know, educating people as to why you would ice something or why you would take the NSAID, you know, as opposed to just take the NSAID. You know, I think we're missing just that little, that little piece. Because, um, you know, I mean, we also don't want people to start masking things, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, I think we, I know we've talked about that in the past. And your pain, because you have a torn or ruptured, you know, partially ruptured something, is a 10 out of 10 for a reason, because your body's like, leave it the heck alone. And now you take your NSAIDs or your Vicodin or whatever, it feels like a two and you're running on it. That's not a great thing either. So on that note, what is like, I know everyone, like every case is different, but as a general, what's your suggestion for when it is okay to use pain meds or anti-inflammatory medication? Great, great question. Um, You know, I would say if it is a a very acute issue for someone, you know, even chronic with an acute flare up, I think we should definitely take it if it's affecting our sleep, if it's affecting our ability to do our, you know, ADLs, those are activities of daily living, you know, be able to, you know, play with your kid and, you know, those kind of things in the short term. Um, But, you know, outside of that, I don't see a, you know, a huge, um, a huge indication for it personally. Yeah. And that's, I'm kind of the same way. Like my big one is always sleep because sleep is when our bodies heal at its best. And so if we can't get quality sleep, then we aren't going to heal regardless. Um, so sleep is always a huge one that I'll, I'll recommend taking. And then, yeah, if you need it to, like, if you can't do your job or take care of your kids, you know, then I think it's a good, good idea just to at least use it to get through your day and sleep. But yeah, definitely not to the point of asking it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, one of my, my patients, she, uh, she's actually very anti, you know, medications and stuff like that, but she was just having this very acute flare up. Uh, her husband, uh, had been working in like some of the COVID wards, uh, here in San Diego. And, you know, so he, needless to say, he was putting in, you know, some, some big time there, uh, for a while. And they finally had a a trip to Disneyland and it was like, uh, in a couple weeks. And she just wasn't healed to the point where, you know, she really, you know, she'd be doing it, but it's like, who am I going to say, don't go to Disneyland with your family and, <laughs> and enjoy yourself. Cool. Take some ibuprofen and then I'll see you next Monday and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll work with the fallout. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Fun is necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, it's the mental health and, and, and having fun, you know, if nothing else is detracting you from, uh, from your pain, especially if you have chronic pain. So uh, I know we know that. You know, another, just something else, and part of this is something from a conversation this weekend that I was having is that I think as, you know, you and I are, I know are good at like talking when explaining, asking questions, treating people as humans, not as a diagnosis or not as just an issue that, you know, an issue that's causing pain, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think so many times, whether it's all areas of the medical field, I think it's like, we almost just see a, we don't see the person. We just see this diagnosis in front of us that needs to be treated. And we look at the images, we, we do all these things and just see like, okay, this is why the pain's there. This is what we need to fix it. And we forget that there's a human being inside that or in encompassing the pain. I don't know how to read yeah, the word. Yeah. 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 But yeah. A, a human being right there, not just this diagnosis. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, um, you know, pain is, as we've said before, it's such a complex, uh, complex thing. It's almost its own being, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it can be for for some people. So if we are seeing our person because we got the MRI report before the evaluation, before we even talk to them, uh, that, you know, they have degeneration in their knee, guess what? Our odds of having that bias of this person is, you know, the degenerated knee patient, you know, is a lot higher, right? And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily say that I never look at images before, um, you know, before seeing someone just because, you know, I want to make sure I'm doing my due diligence and making sure they're a good candidate, um, you know, for physical therapy, <laughs> do they need to go elsewhere? But, uh, you know, we, we can't let that, that diagnosis drive our car when it comes to us as, as clinicians to, um, do a full subjective, really get to know the human behind that diagnosis. Absolutely. Cause we never know. I mean, every person heals differently. Everyone, every person responds differently, their mental state and how they view the issue is going to, is going to play a huge role in how, how the body responds. And there's just so many factors into it that we can't just assume every diagnosis is going to be the same. Yeah, I mean, like, let's let's take a huge zoom out on this. And let me ask everybody, including you, Brianna, everybody listening, what is a 10 out of 10 pain? What does that feel like? (laughs) You know, (laughs) that is one of the most subjective things, um, you know, that that we have as humans, because it's different for all of us. Mm -hmm. People who have experienced childbirth, I hear that's a 10 out of 10 pain. But what about the person who got in a traumatic car accident? That sounds like a 10 out of 10 pain too, right? And, and whose is worse and whose is better and, <laughs> uh, and, and all of that. So, you know, I, I think we need to understand just how subjective all this stuff can be, which is why we got to treat person, you know, I, like I like, um, who is it? Um, uh, Aaron LeBauer, I believe, name drop. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I treat patients, not insurance, right? I, I, I love that that line. Uh, so shout out to him. Hopefully you get him on the podcast at some point. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I used to, when I worked in the insurance world, because they like those pain scale numbers, um, I would always ask hmm. people and they would tell me, I was like, okay, so 10 out of 10 is you've just been shot. Is your pain still a 10 out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the graphics of uh, 10 out of 10 is it's the image of uh, a bear mauling you with bees around it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, um, you know, I I, I like the idea of the VAS, which is that, you know, kind of zero to 10 scale um, for this person specific, you know, how we how we can maybe measure improvement, Mm -hmm. because if they're self-reported eight, um, at a, a self-reported eight and then a week later they come in and now they're saying, oh, it feels kind of like a three or a four. Cool. That's, that's a difference. You know, am I, you know, t- taking a whole lot of weight in it if they say it's a seven instead of an eight today? Like, no, but a four, that's pretty significant. It's 50%, right? Yeah. And that's where it can be tough. Like it's a great thing to use for just to get that perspective of is progress being made, but to base all your decisions on that is definitely not appropriate. No, that absolutely not. And, 
you know, speaking of, you know, kind of just uh, this, this whole thing, pain masking and, you know, due diligence within the healthcare community, you know, I find that we might be a little bit quick in a lot of cases to start masking that pain ourselves um, as clinicians, um, meaning, you know, first session, throwing some ultrasound on it, right? <laughs> or the laser, or the infrared light, and all that. I'm not knocking any of that. You know, I've seen all of that stuff work in, in various instances, but uh, let's look at the cause of it first, and then we work on the kind of the palliative part. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's look at this. Like, do you own any of that stuff? No. Exactly. Do I? <laughs> no. And do people get better? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but is it necessary? No. <laughs> I, I, absolutely not. You know, and I, I you know, I, I know people who run their whole practices on it and all that kind of stuff, you know, more power, power to them and all that. But, you know, people, for the most part, at least in our realm, musculoskeletal realm, they need to move to get better. I would say in most forms of healthcare, you need to move to get better, whether that is oncology or, you know, other, other facets of, of the healthcare system. Absolutely. And, you know, there, and not to say all the modalities are worthless, like there is a time and place for them. Um, like I, like I use needles to do it, needles and stem to do it, but I'm like to like after a muscle tear to get muscles refiring again, like, and get fibers realigned, like can be helpful. I just did that again today with one of my patients, like can be helpful. Um, ultrasound is great for diagnosing stress fractures because the vibration. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, so like, <laughs> I, I felt that. that. Time, but, <laughs> That's I funny. Use a fork, but you know, ultrasound works too. To, to each their own. I mean, you can use a $10,000 <laughs> machine or a, you know, 50 cent tuning fork. <laughs> maybe a dollar with inflation who knows but, <laughs> it's, yeah you know um so th th that's a great point you kind of brought up you know it's and it's like well why are we doing the things that we're doing and if there's a reason for it that's great but you know i bet a, a dollar to a donut brand that not everyone who comes you know in contact with you uh gets gets needles and, and just gets gets you know these things just because you got them right Oh, not at all. Not, at not all. burn, burn it's, it's not burning a hole in your pocket <laughs> if you don't use it on people. <laughs> I don't use everything on everyone. Every, everything has its time and place. Everything. Except for those little ring bands. I don't know. I, I kind of like throwing those on everybody <laughs> just because they're <laughs> diabolical. People look at me like I'm crazy. You know what I'm talking I don't know what they're called, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we... we uh, you know, what is it called? The uh, study of uh, epistemology, right? It's not just that something works. It's like, why does it work? And why are we doing it? And why, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the, the layman person can definitely go online, buy an ultrasound machine and just lather themselves up and, and go to town. Um, I don't recommend or nor advocate that, but um, they could and, and, and not, not understand what's going on with it. And that's totally fine. We as clinicians need to do a little bit better than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and, and you're right. Like, you know, you know, I, we, I think the reason 10 units a lot of people have is because they're now on Amazon. You can get them super cheap, um, which same thing. Like if you want to do that for controlling your own pain, totally cool as a consumer, but yeah, as the clinician, like we need to be, we need to be better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you go to some of these, you know, and not knocking them, but some of these, some of these big box clinics, and I am knocking the ones who, who do this, 
um, and you'll just see rooms and rooms of people with their little like tens unit and ice, you know, and they're billing time for that, which is a burden on the med on the healthcare system and all of that kind of stuff, which is contributing to reimbursement declines and, you know, people needing to do that more, more and more in order to have a, a functioning clinic. So, um, you know, we, you know, again, just need to have a purpose for it and stick with it. We shouldn't have a room full of ice and tents. Unless no, not unless your your clinic is called Ice and Tens, and, <laughs> and you're not billing insurance, and everyone knows what you're doing. Maybe that's a good business model. <laughs> or that. Or or that. I'm just kidding, everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh, where do you go from here, Matt? <laughs> Who knows? I think we solved all the world's problems. Personally, I think I think that was that was it. <laughs> we won. That was that was. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, like the, the overall theme with this is, uh, you know, that we're kind of talking about is like things they don't teach you in school. I think, you know, kind of the, that's where we started and, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I would love to see some physical therapy curriculum, one that's not 20 years old in schools. Um, and also one that's talking about uh other alternative modalities besides ice besides ultrasound because that's all i got in school mm -hmm. was oh if something hurts and they come in acute phase ice and ultrasound and then maybe we'll do a little bit of you know um some some elbow flexion passively <laughs> for their elbow and you know uh whatever and you're finally on stage 17 and then you're finally like loading them right um, we know that for the most part in the body um, they should probably be appropriately loaded as that phase one or two. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick break now to talk about OS first compression and bracing. It is commonly known that compression helps with circulation. We see that medically decreasing your risk of blood clots. We see that on flights using compression to decrease swelling. And even with racing, a lot of times we'll see it with decreasing or improving our circulation there as well. What you might not know though is we actually decrease the fatigue in our feet and legs when we use compression while training. Why is this? The added compression actually helps the muscles fire faster and better. So that means all those little small muscles in your foot and lower leg don't have to work quite as hard when you do every single thing you do. Long term, it means you get to perform better for longer. So check out OS First Compression for yourself. Test it out. See if you get those amazing benefits that I notice for myself. You can head over to osfirst.com to check out all of their amazing products. And if you use code GETYOURFIX at checkout, you can save 15%. You can also head over to getyourfixpt.com slash partners, get a direct link to OS first, as well as see all the other partners that I have some discounts for. And now let's get back to the conversation. What's your thoughts on, I think we've, I feel like we've talked about this before, but I'm not totally sure on that. What's your thoughts on stretching and just how like i guess how often it's used how often is it actually necessary to be doing yeah that's a huge point of 
you know, we'll say maybe contention in the the health community, health and fitness community. And uh, that is another kind of default that people go to, right? You know, oh, what have you, what have you been doing for your, you know, shoulder? Oh, you know, I've just been stretching it. You know, I've just been putting it across my body and like over my head like that. And, uh, you know, I personally am not a huge fan of stretching. There's a time and a place for it, for sure. But most people come to me thinking that they're tight because their bodies just woke up one day tight, but there's some significant muscular imbalances going on. And I've had the most effect by not necessarily stretching the tight muscles, but strengthening the antagonist muscles or re-coordinating them, how, you know, neuromuscular education, whatever you want to call it, to those muscles uh, to turn them on to help bring them into a better position. Yeah. How often are you getting people who have seen other therapists and were given all the stretches? Yeah. Uh, every single, <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. You know, every single person, um, every single person comes through the door. And so, you know, that puts me in a good position because I'm like, okay, well, you know, if you would like, continue doing all of that stuff, but we're going to do some other things. I'd like you to prioritize the things that we're doing, you know, and see, see how things are going. And guess what? You know, they've been going to see someone elsewhere for four or five months with no change um, when we start introducing some of these strengthening, um, quote unquote, strengthening exercises, uh, they start getting better. Mm-hmm. And, and the re- you know, I, <laughs> yes, it was a loaded direct question, but, you know, just going back to that whole like curriculum, like where do we learn to stretch every type muscle? Like, obviously most therapists know this as a young therapist, me coming out of school. I mean, I came out of school a lot longer, a lot longer ago than you did. And it's like, that's what we were taught. Um, obviously now I barely have people stretch, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's another one of those things. That's just, it's what the traditional models do. And it's not really the, like, People aren't getting better that way. It's not the most beneficial thing to be doing. No, not, not at all. I mean, if, if, if it was truthfully, then most people could go right on YouTube and heal themselves of whatever musculoskeletal ailments they have, right? Because mm-hmm. um, there's tons of stretches, no shortage of them. And that's what I tell my patients too. I'm like, hey, if you want some stretches, I'll guide you through some stuff. And, you know, or you can go on YouTube and find some stuff and I'll, I'll vet it, of course. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, you know, I think we were taught anything that was tight, you'd stretch it. Um, anything that, you know, um, was tender, you kind of stretched it because you didn't want to strengthen it. Because if you did, that would be too much for the system and you'd fail the practical, which I guess meant hurt the patient, kill the patient. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. We're not killing our patients here. <laughs> <laughs> it was some something bad and diabolical <laughs> <laughs> right exactly so but yeah like it is you like we learn like as a general you learn to stretch it if it's tight strengthen it when it's weak and move it if it's stiff like <laughs> yeah. yeah and and you know what like maybe you we can extrapolate you know i don't think this is where they were going with it but you know strengthening is some form of stretching, right? You know, through an eccentric contraction. And, you know, I mean, these things are, are happening. They're just not happening with the 
you know, bring your, your ear to your shoulder and hold it for 30 seconds or whatever, right? Um, you're getting the desired effects um, probably in a more effective way. Absolutely. You made a great point there because, um, and yeah, and a lot of it is, is terminology and how you're doing it. Cause I do have people do a lot of active stretching, which is that eccentric decontrolled elongation, really learning how to control that motion as you're elongating the muscle. Um, but yeah, not the, not necessarily the passive holds. Yeah. The passive holds. And, and it's, it's interesting, you know, they're now doing some research. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, and I don't have the data in front of me, but, uh, they did it on runners and they had some statically stretched. They had some dynamically stretched and they actually found a increase in injury for the people who statically stretched, right? You've, you've seen that? I, I've seen some studies on it. I'm not sure if I've seen the most recent one that you're referring to, but I definitely have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's interesting. Um, and so the things that we've been doing previously, like were great up until we found something better. Yeah. <laughs> and some people are still stuck back then because it's easy and it makes sense and all of that. But, you know, we're, we're advancing, which is a great thing. Um, you know, I love the, uh, people who are talking about squatting knees over toes, like that, because that was such a, you know, uh, oh my gosh, if I did that in gym class, like <laughs> they get have my head. Uh, but, but now we're like, Hey, maybe that's not a bad thing in certain situations in certain cases. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. Cause I was thinking I was trying, I was going to write a post and I couldn't really figure out how to make it sound good. So I never did, but, um, like how, like think about psych, the psychiatric people and how like lobotomies used to be a normal thing and like insane asylums and like all these things used to be the standard. And now it's like, what, W2F, like we did these things. Um, <laughs> and like, I feel like that's where a lot of things are going in the rehab world, which is great. Like we need to adapt as new things are found, but I feel like it's not going that direction fast enough. Like there are some people you like you and I who have adopted a lot of this stuff, but then we still have all like hundreds of thousands of clinicians and coaches and athletes still doing all of these other things. Yeah. And it's, uh, it really is a shame because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're almost indoctrinating kids like now into this kind of stretching solves all my problems routine, you know, in gym class and all that, just because it's archaic and, you know, I'm not even sure what the evidence even was <laughs> for some of this stuff, um, you know, kind of quote unquote science. And, uh, you know, we can try to be vehicles of change. And that's why I love, you know, what we're um, at least attempting to do here. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about what makes sense or feels comfortable for us. It's about what is going to get the patient better, you know, and if that if that person who has their whole practice on modalities, um, needs to get rid of $200,000 worth of machines and stuff to help their people better, you know, that, that might be indicated, right? That might be the right thing to do. Absolutely. You know, and even like, I've talked to two different podiatrists on my podcast and who started out as doing the whole traditional thing, orthotics for everyone, and like started doing their own research, looking into things. You're like, why am I doing this? And even myself, like as a younger PT, I 
was doing orthotics for people. I was like doing all that stuff. And over time, it's like we learn, we re- find research, we figure out what things do, what the body does, and we adapt. And, you know, I think just not, an, and I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know if it's just people don't want to change what they're doing. You know, it's hard saying the reasons behind things, but, you know, I think there's something to be said about just being willing to, you know what, this is what I was doing. This is what I know now. Let's go this new direction. It's, it's that simple, right? And, and I know it's more complex than that, but I mean, it is when you boil it down simple and that make you a bad person because you, you know, uh, used to do orth- in orthotics and all that stuff. Absolutely not. Did it make me a bad personal trainer when I, before PT school, because I would have people stretch? No, but we learn and we grow and uh, we are better off fr- from it. So, um, you know, that's the big thing, you know, and kind of calling out our profession like we call ourselves an evidence-based profession but uh you know i i wish we would get a little bit more with the evidence yeah i agree i agree sorry everyone for that rant we we, we need something a little bit cooler <laughs> that was getting a lot hot. <laughs> thanks for bearing with us y'all this is important stuff though <laughs> now the rant's over where should we go with it yeah <laughs> And so uh, another, you know, kind of thing about, you know, what they didn't teach us in school is like, to your point in the beginning is, you know, the fact that we actually have to talk to somebody and, and, you know, um, kind of meet people where they're at, you know, and, and, and not everyone is a multiple choice test where there's a clear right or wrong answer. Um, and there has to be this critical thinking in the profession, well, everything in healthcare, because rarely, I have had a couple of people who fit the textbook to a T, but that rarely happens. I was going to say, you mean no one follows my textbook? I don't get it. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> get with the program, y'all. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right. Like, yeah, I mean, every once in a while you get someone who like, follows exactly like that shoulder impingement presentation or, you know, whatever. But yeah, more often than not, when you start having conversations with people, like you start picking up on other things. And along with that, like, I think we forget how much like those injuries 10, 15, 20 years ago play into present day injuries and issues. And if we don't really take time to find out the history of someone and find out, you know what, I fractured my ankle 20 years ago. And like, you may never, like, if you don't find that information out, you may never really get to the conclusion of things. Because yeah, you, you never, uh, you never dove in deep enough. And, um, you know, there are a lot of times I, I loved that, uh, that ankle injury like 20 years ago, because there are tons of people uh, who come in, you know, with, uh, you know, back pain or like whatever. And I'm asking them questions like, no, I've never really had it before. Oh, well, I did used to like jump off roofs back in college, you know, just onto the asphalt. And I fractured my legs a couple times. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, how many times? Oh, well, like four times. And I've had surgeries from it and been in boots. And now they have all these imbalances. I'm like, okay painting me a picture. Thank you. You know, now we go for the lower body and correcting gait and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I had, 
I had one years ago, once again, was in the insurance world, low back pain for several months and ended up like through that conversation, she had a huge abdominal scar from a surgery, like 20 some years ago. And other like, yeah, we did some strengthening work, but primarily it's like, we just worked on that scar tissue because it was so adhered down. It was impinging everything. Like once that was loosened up, her pain, like was like melted away. And it's like, if you like, you could do all you wanted to the back, but it wasn't going to solve that problem. You could use every technique in the book for, for the back. And that probably wouldn't have changed the outcome. Um, so that, yeah, that's a perfect, perfect testament to, uh, to what we've been saying. Um, so yeah, you know, everyone who's new out there, um, and you know, I'm new, <laughs> but <laughs> newer, um, you know, uh, we're always constantly learning, you know, really, um, you know, make sure that, that you don't see your, your person as, as that, that number or that ailment and all of that. Um, and you're going to go so much farther, so much farther. Yeah. And um, I think, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say another thing too, that, um, just like conversations that have come to mind more recently is like life changes as far as like, um, Someone, I've talked to someone recently starting having hip pain while well, he's 14 years old. He's grown a ton recently. Like what's, you know, what's possibly hasn't kept up with the other, as far as growing has come like women going through menopause are more likely had to have joint and muscle soreness. Like we can't discount like life changes as we go through the different stages that like hormones change muscle to bone length changes. And like all these things play a factor into why this person might have pain right now. Hmm. And, and, and that's a great point of, you know, I, I like to use like the, it's a calories in versus calories out analogy. Like, like it's so simple. Oh, whatever you put in your mouth, like, you know, <laughs> and whatever you expend equals, you know, your, your, you know, weight gain or weight loss. You know, it's, there's a million processes that happen, uh, probably more than a million <laughs> in between when that piece of what food goes in your mouth and when it comes out. Uh, just like, you know, with the, with the human body, there's so many things that, that happen, have happened, will continue to happen that are going to, to change, you know, um, change a person's, you know, uh, you know, life, whether it's injury or healing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think like when it comes to talking to patients, finding out history, finding out what else might be involved, do you think it's like lack of understanding of what all could be related? Do you think it's more of a time factor that people in the insurance world are rushed for time in evaluations? Like, what do you think is, is playing a factor in, in some of this? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all that, you know, I mean, obviously time constraints are worse than they've probably ever been in the healthcare system. Um, so that's a, that's a huge factor. Um, but, you know, I mean, also, you know, <laughs> And, and we do it here too, which is wonderful. I just do it all day in my life. You know, I think there's so much value with my patients, at least with some of these tangents and getting off topic and, and exploring kind of some of these other things that have nothing to do with their back because I gained so much uh, clearer of a picture than if I were just to ask, them, oh, okay, when did the knee, when did the knee pain start hurting? When, you know, that, that kind of stuff, the straight subjective stuff. Um, cause I, I feel that the, the patient will always tell me what's wrong with them. It might not be in technical terms or anything like that, but 
you know, they'll, they'll let me know because they're feeling it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think through those conversations, like, even if you don't specifically, you know, we all forget to mention things. Like, even if something doesn't feel well, you know, some of them may not think something's relevant. So they may not mention, you know, they broke their toe and when they were five or, you know, whatever, (laughs) like (laughs) just may not mention things, but then through conversation, things gradually come up and then it's like, oh, well, this could be related to, to this. And this could be why this is still happening. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's just so important both at that first, first time you meet someone, but also throughout the time you're working with someone, just continue to have come those conversations and just really get a good understanding of like what's going on with them as a, as a human. And that relates perfectly, you know, just to that aspect of time. Right. You know, when you're spending an hour plus with someone a session, you have a more of an ability to, to, to peel back, peel back the onion uh, because yeah, it's all part and parcel. And um, I, yeah, I, I, I think if we kept our, um, kept our ears open and our mouths more shut <laughs> as, as a uh, not so good way of putting it, but uh, you know what I mean? I, I think we can glean a lot more from our patients, even if we're with them for 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that's coming to mind too with that is just thinking back to when I was in the insurance world and like how every minute had to be justified to the insurance company. And it's like, when you're talking, like sometimes you just need to talk to someone for 30 minutes just to either let them vent because all this emotional stuff is causing their pain to be worse or you just need to get a better understanding. And it's like, it's hard to build that, but it's necessary time. Yeah. And hey, at the end of the day, uh, patient education, right? <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that reimburses for. I'll never know, but, but still, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all skilled, right? Because they're not speaking to their daughter or, or whomever, right? Or parent. Um, they're speaking to someone who has a expertise to kind of pick some of the stuff apart and, and figure out, oh, wow, you broke your toe when you were, you know, 10 years ago. Okay, that can change things um, and give me more insight into this. So, um, yeah, just, you know, more time. I wish we could bring back a little bit more of that old school with the healthcare. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that family doctor who knows Mrs. Jones and all of her kids and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> if only, if only. One day, maybe we'll have a, more of a renaissance <laughs> in this healthcare field. <laughs> Just have to have a rebellion of some sort. Not sure. <laughs> something <laughs> like that. I was trying to put it a little bit <laughs> less inflammatory, but yeah, something like that. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to bring up tonight? Ooh. I don't know. I, like I said, I think we solved all the world's problems we did. earlier. And... <laughs> no, that's kind of it. You know, um, I, I, I think, you know, this conversation, you know, I mean, a, a lot of our, all of our conversations have been uh, great and significant, but, you know, this one in particular has kind of resonated with me. Um, a little bit more because, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all the things that you and I are definitely trying to change in the healthcare system, right? Um, people uh, are truthfully getting fed up with the impersonalized care they're getting from top down, and that's from every practitioner there is. And so I love that there's all these people trying to change the game. 
you know, and, and, and again, no, no shame for the people who are still in it. Um, cause I know a lot of people who are still in it don't, don't like it, but they got, they have to have to be there for one reason or another. I, I, I feel it, but, um, you know, we just need to keep, uh, keep pushing and we need to keep pushing our profession to be better. And, um, you know, the whole healthcare system in general to be better. Yeah, absolutely. Good closing statement there. Thank you. <laughs> if someone wants to talk to you, ask you questions, yell at you, etc., where can they find you, Matt? <laughs> well, if anyone wants to, uh, I guess, do any of that, <laughs> they can uh, find me uh, at Autonest Physical Therapy. You can Google us. Um, we're also on social media. Um, Autonest Therapies is our uh, Instagram handle. And uh, but send the hate mail, of course, to Brianne, as always. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, in all seriousness, I'd love to have a conversation with anyone who, you know, where they struck a nerve one way or the other and see if we can have a healthy conversation, maybe get them on here and we can, you know, talk it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you for your timing. Always fun to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me on, Brianne. I appreciate it as always. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Highly Functional and had some great takeaways from it. If you'd like to discover more about the foot and ankle, you can check out runwithhappyfeet.com or check out my full website at getyourfixpt.com. And until next time, go out and be highly functional. <laughs>